0: Hello, you're listening to Tax Talk, a podcast series from the Irish Tax Institute, which explores current issues in the world of taxation. I'm your host, Samantha MacCochran. So around this time every year, the Institute elects a new president. And here to talk to me today is Colin Brown, who will shortly take up the lead role at the Institute. Colum is Tax Director of PwC and is based in Limerick. You're very welcome here today, Colum. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into a career in tax.
1: Hi, Samantha. Thank you. Um, I suppose my background in tax to this point is a bit varied or mixed in that I would have started off in PwC, um, trained there, qualified as a charter tax advisor and uh, then progressed to manager. I'm originally from Clare and the west of Ireland roots were calling me back. And I moved to Limerick and where I worked in BDO for about two years and then joined a smaller practice in Limerick OBI and was partnered there for about 10 years and rejoined PwC then a number of years ago. So a broad mix in terms of uh, the type of work and the type of clients I would have worked in. Um, Initially, I suppose tax was something I'd been studying in college. Uh, It poked my interest and in terms of career choices, Uh, I decided to go down that path.
0: So it gives you an interesting perspective in that uh, you've worked for a small practice and then obviously a a very large um, company. So tell me, what's the difference between the two work environments like?
1: Um, I suppose in a larger environment there's a lot more support and uh, there's people to assist with things like IT and HR and all of that. The smaller firm you're very much, if you're the partner, (laughs) you're (laughs) covering a lot of those areas as well. But taking those issues aside, I suppose, from a pure tax perspective, it still comes back to the fundamentals of you need to know your client, you need to understand their business, they expect that. And then it's about building the trust and relationship with the client so that when they need advice, they can trust uh, your opinion in giving that. And that's the same whether it's a large multinational or it's um, a small Irish indigenous business. They want to know that they can trust the people they're yeah, So the
0: fundamentals with. are somewhat similar really, um, despite the changes in scale. But yep. just uh, to talk about some of the top uh, you know, priorities for the Institute and, and your time as President. One of the key things that, that um, the Irish Tax Institute has been calling for in recent years is the simplification of the corporation tax code. So um, you're uh, a lead of uh, PwC's centralised corporation tax compliance function, Kenny, so you're at the coalface of some of that. So explain to me a bit about the level of change, because I think it's been described as exceptional change in recent years. And aside from the level of change, just what that means for businesses that you're dealing with regularly.
1: Yeah, I suppose we have seen over the past number of years the uh, evolution almost of tax on the global stage. Uh, with EU directives, OECD, uh, the BEPS project, and all of that has a huge impact on how we trade, uh, how multinational businesses operate, which then finds its way back into the tax code. So on the back of obviously very detailed tax legislation, we have layered on top of that a huge amount of this new legislation. And in reality, what we want to see, I suppose, is Ireland remaining extremely competitive, but also uh, Ireland being seen as a good place to do business, an easy place to uh, work from in terms of uh, tax reporting and the requirements. We have, you know, quite a lengthy tax return at this stage on the corporate tax uh, form, and what the Institute really would like to see is, I suppose, a review of uh, the tax code, a review of. Uh, the tax return to see, are there ways we can help business to administratively do it easier here in Ireland. I mean,
0: it is something, when there's research carried out, it does come up as a common theme, the simplification, uh, both from Irish companies and uh, multinationals. Uh, And is it something that other countries do better? I'm just wondering, is it something that would be very difficult to simplify, or is it something that could be done with reasonable ease?
1: Well, it certainly wouldn't be easy. I think we have to acknowledge that. But there are areas I think that we could make progress in uh, around the areas of maybe pre-population of forms. Uh, There's a huge amount of data obviously going to revenue. Um, But again, that will require resources on the part of revenue to be able to uh, invest into the technology to allow those things to happen. But I think it's important, I suppose, whether it's our own businesses here in Ireland that we're trying to support or to attract foreign direct investment. We need to keep an eye on what competitors are doing and we need to make Ireland or retain Ireland as an attractive place for businesses to come.
0: Because presumably it's uh, time consuming, costly, room for error when it's more complex. There's a load of issues that... Uh...
1: Yeah, and obviously as tax practitioner, that's what clients pay us to do. But you know, we we have to take the longer term view as well and what's best for Ireland Inc. And I think it's important in that regard that if there's an opportunity there to simplify things, Make it administratively more easy. We need to be ahead of the game in that.
0: And this this will lead into what uh, I, you know, I'm going to talk about next about the OECD framework agreement. But presumably, it's, ne- it's it's never been more important for us to be competitive because you know the world is changing uh, quite quickly on the whole international tax front.
1: Yeah, and I suppose maybe the levers that were available to government in the past uh, are being taken away to certain degrees around the um, broader agreements on international tax. So it's important that we find ways that uh, use the levers that are available to us from a tax perspective, because tax needs to be central to retaining Ireland's competitive. It's not the only issue, but it is a key issue in terms of uh, domestically what we can do to make business easier in Ireland and to continue to attract uh, foreign direct investment.
0: So with regards to the OECD, framework agreement, there's been a lot of discussion about its potential impact on, um, on on Ireland, but there's also uncertainty now about whether the two so-called pillars will be implemented at a global level. What do you think is going to happen there?
1: Very difficult to say at this time, uh, Samantha, but I think what we can be certain about is there's going to be change, and um, I think irrespective of what happens, In regard to the framework agreement, I think it's uh, likely that we're going to see the implementation of the 15% rate at an EU level at least. Obviously we need to bear in mind that Ireland is retaining its core 12.5% rate and that the 15% rate only applies where turnover is above the 750 million bracket. But I think we'll see that happen. I think whether the global framework agreement will apply probably still up in the air, as you say, with regard to the US position. But, you know, I think it's still to play for and it's something that we'll probably see a close out before the end of the year.
0: And in terms of that 15% rate, even if it does, um, it is just a Europe, an EU-wide um, uh, measure. Do you think that's going to be, like how, how much of an impact do you think that's going to have? And I think one of the key things is probably... Uh, bureaucratic-wise, in terms of how how, how companies actually manage that, it's going to be quite a big change for companies. Um, Aside from Ireland Inc, it's going to be quite a big change for companies as well, isn't it?
1: It will, but I suppose what the lessons of COVID, Brexit, all the things have taught us is, you know, if companies have certainty on the roadmap that they uh, need to go on, they'll find ways to cope and to deal with it and to work around it in terms of what needs to be done to live within the rules that apply. So I think ultimately what we need is to see the direction of travel and certainty as to what's going to happen with the framework agreement or more locally at an EU level. And then I think um, companies, once they have that tarification and certainty, will be able to adapt.
0: Um, and, and as you say, there's been some <laughs> serious headwinds thrown at us in the last um, couple of years. So as you know, we have been resilient and and and, and the, the, the small and large companies have done incredibly well. Uh, we couldn't have predicted some of the things that have happened. But just look, from from an Irish perspective, there's also been quite a lot of um, conversations recently about our dependence on large companies for corporate tax um, and to be raised at a at, at top level in this country. Um, so that's one point. But the other side of it is a focus on the SME sector. And there has been um, a lot of, uh, you know, for, for many years... Calls from the Institute and others you know, to, to do more to enhance incentives for small companies in the areas of innovation and productivity, for example. Do you think progress has been made in this area?
1: Well, I suppose, first of all, we need to recognise that Ireland is a small, open economy and we have relied in the past and we would continue to need and must uh, focus attention on foreign direct investment, protecting the foreign direct investment that is here and continuing to attract new FDI investment into the future. But I think we also need to grow and protect our indigenous SME sector, and that includes the small family businesses that have made a huge contribution to Ireland um, over the last uh, years and decades. And ensuring that, I suppose, proper resources are put in to The supports and the incentives that are there to reward the people who take the risks in those SME um, sectors and provide huge amount of jobs in the economy and I think certainly the Institute has played a key role in voicing the um, need to support those businesses around some of the tax reliefs that are there such as the research and development tax credit the Key Employee Engagement um, Programme, which provides shares uh, to employees through uh, a tax programme. And it has come up repeatedly, I suppose, where there is reform needed uh, around some of those reliefs. Other um, areas like the capital gains tax rate, I suppose, we are dealing with one of the highest CGT rates um, compared to our neighbouring countries and competitors at 33%. And I think, to Reward and incentivize the people who take risk in business. Those uh, are areas that need to be looked at, and the institute has raised that on a number of occasions. And
0: um, sometimes it's you know it's pitched as sometimes from the smaller businesses maybe feeling a little bit left out. You know that the, the, there's an open door to some of the big uh, employers in this country. You know presumably it doesn't have to be either or. Like there is an approach that both the smaller indigenous companies and the big employers can both have a, a tax code that is, is, is you know, a, a best practice and, a, you know, best in class kind of in, in the EU. Presumably that is the case, that like both yeah. can be accommodated.
1: Yes, absolutely, and I think, you know, the larger multinationals are hugely important, as we've said to Ireland, and a huge amount of corporation tax revenue is generated from them, but equally a huge amount of the personal tax revenue that is collected is collected through the PAYE, through the huge amount of employments that are generated in those companies. But equally, uh, if we're going to have um, a vibrant indigenous industry that can help future-proof Ireland in the event of some shocks to the FDI uh, community, we need to support that and to build for it now, rather than be reactive, we need to be proactive. So some of the reliefs that I mentioned need to be looked at. And maybe it's a case of that less is more, like some of the reliefs are reformed and make them work really well for small business, but maybe there's a reform in terms of not expecting that we can have everything we want in regard to every relief.
0: I know there's, in particular, the orient tax credit has been getting a bit of attention recently due to um, uh, consultation um, that's been carried out uh, by the department, but you know, some of the some of the uh, suggestions seem always very pragmatic and would actually be quite beneficial. Is it a case again of like going back to the, I suppose the, you know, uh, uh, corporation tax code? You know, steps could be taken to make it easier. Why maybe why aren't they being done? Is it a case that things can be done without it being hugely costly or hugely uh, labourious for or, you know for for, the, for 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 revenue? Are there things that can be done that aren't hugely like a huge burden for the state?
1: Yeah, I I think. Um if we take the research and development tax credit, for example, like larger businesses will have more resources available to support in how they uh, prepare the documentation, um, how they do the record keeping, etc. Often very uh, much can be the case where some of the smaller businesses maybe are afraid to make the claims because they're afraid it'll draw attention to themselves and that you know, will they have everything right and will all the paperwork be right. And one of the things that the Institute has proposed is that maybe for small and micro businesses, that there would be effectively uh, an advance opinion given in regard to um, the qualification of the R&D activity within that company and some assurance given that yes, you meet the criteria. And uh, equally, I suppose, you know, instead of waiting for repayment of the R&D tax credit credit over a three-year period, that perhaps it's changed to a one-year period. So obviously there would be some cash flow impact for the exchequer in that, but equally it would be valuable cash flow for the small business, which obviously can struggle at times.
0: You, you know, we've, we've touched on Brexit a little bit there but, earlier on, but the, 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 it has been, um, so, you know, there's a, a strange period in British politics at the moment, so everything is sort of on hold as the we await the outcome of the Tory leadership race. Um, But there's still a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen when the UK customs checks on goods from the EU begin and uh, the Northern Ireland protocol remains very contentious. So how have businesses been doing so far with Brexit? It's something that got lost attention during COVID, but you do see it now coming through in maybe company results or commentary from companies about some of the challenges that they're facing and also some research as well from um, the EU and the CSO etc here. How have companies been doing with Brexit?
1: I suppose day one was very much about the trading issues, <clears throat> keeping companies going, operational issues, ensuring that everything was going well. But I think the last 18 months we've seen businesses have adapted. Those day one trading issues have started to fade away. And businesses have found ways to to deal with the barriers that Brexit created. Uh, Right now, I suppose, that bedding-in period has happened and we're starting to see increased uh, revenue audits in the customs area, um, issues arising around classification of goods, the origin of goods, and very often what has been the case is, maybe some businesses were overly focused on the operational side of things, which obviously was very understandable at the outset, and maybe the classification of goods was wrong, their detriment in that maybe they're overpaying uh, customs duties and there's a a revision of some of the classifications needed. Um, I think in regard to post uh, the change in the UK leadership position, uh, we probably just have to wait and see how the politics plays out and what happens. The UK have indicated how they might uh, proceed in the future. The EU uh, we await uh, what they're going to do, and ultimately, these are political decisions. But we need to see that roadmap being decided to help business get certainty into the future. So, do
0: you think that, you know, as you said, there has taken, it, is, it has taken, and it is taking time sort of to wash through the system. So, do you think we might see more Brexit related impacts on companies over the next couple of years, especially as there are still some, you know, measures to come and some uncertainties there?
1: Well, I suppose very much the outcome of what happens on the remaining issues to be resolved around Northern Ireland uh, will obviously carry some implications for business. And, you know, we need to see the outcome of that before we can determine, I suppose, uh, what impact it will have on business. Uh, But those are political decisions that we will have to wait and see (laughs) the outcome. And uh, like all of these things, they take time.
0: Um, And in terms of um, some of the the big issues is that uh, revenue, uh, you know, was introduced uh, brought to the fore in recent um, months. The new compliance intervention framework and revised code came into operation at the beginning of May, and it's it's a big change for practitioners um, and their clients, of course. So, are you concerned about that? How's going, how that's going to work, or are you confident that it'll it'll be adapted straight in a straightforward manner?
1: Yeah, it's early days, yes, uh, in regard to the revised compliance intervention framework. I suppose uh, we've just come off the summer period and as we head into the winter months, we expect to see an increased level of interventions by revenue under the new code. So the Institute has engaged extensively with revenue and with members over the process uh, of the revision of the code and since its introduction and we will obviously be continuing that engagement and seeing how it plays out. But there is a lot of change in there. We need to monitor it. We need to, I suppose, see what happens over the next uh, number of months and see the nature of those interventions from revenue and then reassess it after a period.
0: And is there anything, you know, early stage kind of of concern, or is there any nervousness there among clients that there might be some unexpected aspects to this, or, you know, are you just going to sort of keep a watching brief on it and see how it is?
1: Predominantly keep a watching brief uh, brief on it, uh, Samantha. But, um, you know, things like how the notification is given and things were, you know, concerns for practitioners and for the Institute and ensuring that. you know, they're, given the timelines for responses to deal with some of these interventions, we need to make sure those notifications are received by the right people, and that's something we'll certainly be watching over the coming months.
0: And presumably, um, I think I think it was mentioned in the um, in the R and D uh, tax credit submission that the, the institute made. But communication is a big part of it, and just having that, uh, I suppose, two way an openness between the practitioners and revenue that seems to be another key area. That's important for the, the whole system to run smoothly.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the Institute has a very strong working relationship with revenue. Both sides obviously understanding their respective roles and respecting that, but equally seeing the benefit of good open communication around change and, and consultation around that. And I think the Institute is well respected both by revenue and by finance for, I suppose, the objective uh, approach that they take, uh, very um, considered opinions, and even in the submissions that the Institute would make, uh, very well uh, researched and very well uh, thought out. So I think there's a healthy respect there for the role of the Institute, and that's reflected in the engagement with revenue.
0: And the past um, two years would have been, you, would have been dominated, I suppose, by COVID lockdowns restrictions. Now that we're heading into um, into the to the autumn, uh, and and we've had a reasonably <laughs> don't touch one, but we've had a reasonably good run of it the last few months, are, are companies generally dealing well with anything that's left over from COVID, or is there any anything to be ironed out yet? Is that is that more or less? Or is that is that something that's in the past, or are there some companies still dealing with some of the sort of uh, ramifications of the last two years?
1: Well, I, I suppose do big step just is the hangover from covid is obviously the warehousing of tax debt mm-hmm. um and the uh, phase two of that where the zero percent rate of interest applies uh, runs to the end of this year and then we will move into the phase where the three percent rate of interest applies so a huge amount of work uh, will happen over the coming months in terms of engagement between uh, taxpayers and revenue involving practitioners around phased payment agreements for that warehouse debt and I think it's going to be a very important phase in terms of dealing with those businesses that have warehouse debt and ensuring that we can uh, get proper realistic phased payment arrangements in place that support the SME sector uh, that predominantly is uh, the sector impacted by the warehouse debt? Is
0: is a, is, a, is a debt that's been warehoused a, a, a concern for a lot of SMEs? Or you know, it was probably it was a fantastic relief uh, at the absolute height of the restrictions and the lockdowns. Um, but you know, the day is coming, as you say, very soon. So is that something that a lot of companies actually have planned for, or is it something that? they've just you know some firms have just sort of it seems like a long time away for a while and now sure look It's like everybody it's like the credit card bill coming, but it is coming
1: Yeah, and and I suppose until we really get into that phase We won't know the ins and outs of all the cases and like everything. There's probably a mix Samantha but I suppose a lot of businesses have been planning and have been resourcing towards it and you know getting prepped for that stage and even we have seen a huge amount of uh, tax debt already repaid even before we get to that uh, stage. But we are undoubtedly entering into the most difficult phase of it now and what is likely to be the most problematic uh, debt uh, arising from COVID. So I think we need to be patient, we need to be understanding of the subsequent factors that have occurred for SME sector, the uh, troubles in uh, Ukraine, um the ongoing Brexit will still have impact and then obviously inflation and the costs around materials wage inflation have put a huge amount of pressure on the SME sector in particular uh, as it has on all sectors of business uh, over the past uh, 12 months so I think we need to be mindful of that as we approach um, that period uh, in the phase payment arrangements um and just to,
0: just to briefly go back to the um the large the large corporates here, the FDI firms, and um, that pay so much of our um, corporate tax. Um, you know, the, as we were saying earlier, the direction of travel is kind of going one way in terms of how. Um, Global tax, tax taxes treated um, internationally. There's, at the same time, there's been some unusual uh, developments with the tech sector. There's been some job freeze hiring. There's just a little bit of nervousness around that sector that's been just so powerful for the Irish economy. Um, how much does tax play figure in that whole, um, you know, that whole picture for the future of FDI here? Because you know there would have been a conversation some time ago. The twelve and a half percent was the reason they were here. Now people are. You know, and rightly pointing to the other um, benefits that we have as, a, as an economy are, you know, our English-speaking high-skilled workers, um, um, lots of other, the fact that there is a fantastic sector that has established itself here, marks itself out against many other European countries. So what role does tax have to play in ensuring that those companies still continue to find Ireland as an attractive economy and still continue to create jobs, invest, uh, you know, as we enter into quite, you know, uh, an uncertain economic time with potential recession, lots of inflation and 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 an unusual backdrop that we're heading into.
1: I think uh, um, tax is obviously, as we mentioned earlier, one of the levers that government has, that lever has been somewhat constrained by, say, the changes on the global stage in regard to uh, the uh, tax changes uh, and the fifteen percent rate, etc. But Ireland needs to review itself against uh, competitors, benchmark itself, and see, you know, are we remaining competitive? Uh, it's not just, I suppose, about looking purely at the corporate tax rate, like we're looking. If FDIs are coming in here, very often we're looking to attract employees into this country to fill some of those roles. The personal rate of tax is obviously a huge uh, consideration in that regard for employees. And Ireland, like at the, say, median to high in- levels of income, has one of the highest rates of personal tax when you take into account the USC and PRSI compared to uh, our competitors like the UK, Switzerland, the US. So. That's an area that we probably need to be very mindful in any change um, into the future around talk of additional PRSI contributions, etc. Um, furthermore, I suppose it's vitally important now that the Research and Development Tax Credit is reviewed and make sure that it continues to be an attractive relief for those FDI companies and that it retains Ireland's competitiveness Uh, from an R&D perspective and we need to benchmark against competitors in that regard. Uh, We also obviously need to look at public infrastructure, uh, schools, housing, uh, social infrastructure, etc. And they're all key aspects but tax uh, is certainly a key impact as well.
0: Okay, um, thank you very much Colin for sharing all those uh, interesting thoughts with us and best of luck with your year as President of the Irish Tax Institute. That's it for this edition of Tax Talk. Thank you very much for joining us.